A reading from the second book of Samuel. That night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Go tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Should you build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day on which I led the children of Israel out of Egypt to the present, but I have been going about in a tent under cloth. In all my wanderings everywhere among the children of Israel, did I ever utter a word to anyone of the judges, whom I charged to tend my people Israel, to ask, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, speak thus to my servant David. The Lord of hosts has said this to say, It was I who took you from the pasture, from the care of the flock, to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as I did of old, since the time I first appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. And when, you, and when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. It is he who shall build a house for my name, and I will make his royal throne firm forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And if he does wrong, I will correct him with the rod of men and with human chastisements, but I will not withdraw my favor from him as I withdrew it from your predecessor, Saul, whom I removed from, your, from my presence. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. Verum Domini. Forever I will maintain my love for my servant. <clears throat> I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will make your dynasty stand forever and establish your throne through all ages. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock that brings me victory. I myself make him firstborn, most high over the kings of the earth. Forever I will maintain my love for him. My covenant with him stands firm. I will establish his dynasty forever, his throne as the days of the heavens.
Dominus Fobiscum. Lectio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And the whole world crowd was beside the sea on land. And he taught them at length in parables. And in the course of his instruction, he said to them, hear this. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and produced no grain. And some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded 30, 60, and 100 fold. He added, whoever has ears ought to hear. And when he was alone, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may look and see but not perceive and hear and listen but not understand in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? Then how will you, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes the word sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground who when they hear the word, received it at once with joy, but they have no roots. They last only for a time. And when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. These are, they're the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches and the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. Verbum Domini. Today's reading from the second book of Samuel comes at a point when King David had settled 
things pretty well in his kingdom. He had put the Philistines not merely at bay, but defeated them. A great accomplishment because they had come into the country as an Iron Age culture. They were far advanced. Israel was Bronze Age. David fought like a Stone Age soldier in his youth, shooting slings, uh, uh, rocks with a sling. That's a Stone Age weapon. And they were able to defeat the Philistines, settle down the people surrounding them, form an empire. And meanwhile, the other kingdoms around him, Egypt was in thorough collapse. It was going into a decline. Assyria had fallen apart. The Hittite Empire had ceased to exist. And there had been invasions all over the Mediterranean world for, by this point, about 200 years of chaos. Even in Greece, kingdoms disappeared. In the midst of all the chaos that dominated the late Bronze Age and early Iron, David establishes a kingdom. And in fact, it really was the strongest kingdom around. And this passage today, where he thought, well, I'll build a temple, a, a stone building for the ark and for worship. He is, in some ways, focusing on the very purpose for Israel's existence. Remember how Abraham, well, back when he was still Abram, 75 years old, and he's called to become a blessing for all the families of the world. That was his call. Israel was told after they left Egypt that they would be a kingdom of priests, that as a nation, their primary mission was to be that blessing. Who blesses? Priests. And Israel was to be a nation of, a kingdom of priests who would bless the rest of the world. And that even when Moses was called, he, the Lord told him, you will come back in this wilderness and worship me. Worship of God was the main thrust of Israel. The Ten Commandments and the other moral laws are a prerequisite for worship. That they had to be morally right and so they made a covenant based on whether or not they would obey the commandments of God. And that sets the stage to have morality in terms of your relationship with God and your relationship with the people around you. That is a precondition for worship. That's why we don't, to this day, receive Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin. 
that this is at the very core of Israel's identity, that our worship is, uh, of God is the purpose of our lives, but the moral precondition is also necessary if you are going to worship well. Well, now, this is a real high point in the history of Israel, that they are called to worship. And David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and he sees this contrast. He's living in a nice palace. After he conquered the city of Jerusalem, you know, and it, it did a pretty cool way, coming up a water shaft and just opening the gates, letting his people in. And he sees the contrast between the nice palace where he's living versus the tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. And given that contrast, he has a desire. But while he has a desire to build a permanent house for the Lord, the Lord says, no, no, you don't build me a house. I'll build you a house. And he's making a play on words because house, of course, referred to the temple as the house of God. But also the word house, bait, means your family. It's a way that you talk about the house of Hanani or the house of whatever, you know, this, this is your family. So he's promising to build David a dynasty that will rule forever. This is one of two unconditional promises and, excuse me, unconditional covenants established in the Old Testament. The first unconditional covenant was with Abram. When he, in chapter 15 of Genesis, he promised him unconditionally, I will make your descendants like the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. You won't be able to count them. And that I will make my covenant with you forever. No conditions. He doesn't have to do any laws or anything. He just has this unconditional covenant, and he entered into that. He trusted God with that covenant. Now David is given this unconditional covenant that he will have his descendant on his throne forever. In fact, historically, David's dynasty ruled longer than any of the Egyptian dynasties, they kept coming and going, getting knocked out. Same with the Assyrians and Babylonians and the you know, Hittites were already gone. That, you know, all these dynasties kept coming and going. David's lasted a good long time. Almost 500 years on the throne of Israel. But eventually, the nation itself, see, this is one of the things to keep in mind. The nation of Israel had a conditional covenant as nation. They were told that if you keep 
my commandments, then I will give you your land. But keeping the covenant, obeying the commandments, was a condition for having their land. And they broke the condition so thoroughly that both the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel made announcements in the 590s BC that you have broken it and the covenant is over. The covenant is done. But that does not mean that the unconditional covenant with David was ended. And it's in this context, if you take a look at this overall vision, while the descendants of David did not rule over the people of Israel anymore, we still see that an angel came to a young virgin in Galilee in a small village of Nazareth and said, you will have a son and he will sit on the throne of his father David. The importance of those words are to show that this unconditional promise will be fulfilled. And even, as you see in the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 34, where it says, the Lord God says, I myself will shepherd my people Israel, the Lord God himself, and then says, my servant David will shepherd my people Israel. How will that be fulfilled except that God the Son becomes flesh from the dynasty of David so that it is both the Lord God and David in the one person, Jesus Christ, who fulfills this key promise made to David as well as the promises made to, through the prophet Ezekiel. And this gets at a number of things. A few uh, weeks ago, a couple months ago, we celebrated the feast of Christ the King. And a key element of our worship, coming here, fulfilling what God has called us to do, to worship God, just as that was the summons of ancient Israel, so is it also our summons that we worship God with our whole hearts, minds, and souls, as Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 6. As we do that, we also look to Jesus Christ as our King. That we have a role now in fulfilling this prophecy that David would sit on the throne, or David would have a descendant on his throne forever. The one who sits on the throne of David forever first was proclaimed as the king of Israel with a sign on the cross. Remember, Our Lady who heard 
that your son will sit on the throne of his father David? First time she sees Jesus publicly proclaimed as king is a sign, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, hung on the cross. But she also stayed faithful through the resurrection and his enthronement in heaven. And we have a role in all this to say, will I accept Jesus Christ as my king? In our own American Revolution, one of the flags that was made was, we have no king but Jesus. And that's one of the things that we should remind ourselves in a democratic republic such as ours. We don't have kings, but we have Jesus as the king that we choose as every day to let him reign inside the throne of our hearts. His throne is in heaven to be sure, but my choice is to also let him rule over me so that just as this David wanted to build a house to keep the Ten Commandments, remember that's what was gonna be inside the center room of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it. So also, when I ask Jesus to be the king of my heart, I want his rules. I want his word to be planted deep within me. I want to be that good soil that receives his word and let him rule my life so that I obey him rather than human law, human uh, directions, anything that would veer me to the right or to the left from the law of God, as Moses told Israel, veer neither to the right nor to the left, but stay straight with the Lord. This is what we invite him to do. And each time we come to this altar for Holy Communion, we do so to enthrone Jesus recognize his rule and ask him to guide us so that we worship him in accord with his true morality so that everything we do would be for his greater praise and glory and honor. Let us